Hey guys, welcome to the shit show of my 20s. I'm so excited that you guys are here. My name's Sophia. I started this podcast in the beginning of April and I got furloughed at the end of March. And quite honestly, it was so hard for me to comprehend and deal with that. I was like, I have two choices right now. I can start the podcast that I've always wanted to start or I can let this really deter me and start emotional eating and just sit on the couch and do nothing. And I decided to go with the first choice. And I'm so glad that I did because I've got to meet so many inspiring people from all over the world. And I hope that you guys see yourselves in some of these stories because I've just been having so much fun. This has been lighting me up so much. And I'm really glad that I put myself out there and decided to start it. You know, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to start it. And I'm so glad that I just did that. And I know as an introvert, it's been pretty hard to like put myself out there, talk in front of a camera, talk to all these people I don't know. But I feel like this has been such a growing experience for me. And I feel like I need to share that with you guys because maybe there's something in your life that excites you but kind of scares you at the same time. And maybe it's time to step into that. Today's guest is Di, and so much fun chatting with him. We talk about what it was like to leave a career of 17 years, how he was able to overcome an alcohol addiction, what it was like to go on a 10-day silent retreat, how he continues to date his wife, and what it's like to lead a men's group. So let's get started. So thank you so much, Di, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you and hearing about your story. Tell me what your journeys look like so far, different career changes you've had. How'd you get to the place you're at right now? Oh, you want me to answer all at once? Or, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, Sophia, first of all, thank you for the opportunity. I, I think it's wonderful to hear what you've been doing with your time. You know what I mean? When we find ourselves in these periods of time where we do have time, I mean, it'd be really easy to just do what the norm is, right? just start to uh, distract ourselves or, or escape with Netflix. And, you know, I can only watch Tiger King so many times and, uh, you know, but here you are producing something that adds a lot of value to people's lives. And I just want to commend you for that. But also uh, I'm really honored for the opportunity to talk to you today. So uh, my story, well, you know, there's lots of different places I can start, but I, I guess it's always easier to sort of start from where I am right now. And then we can just kind of work backwards, I guess. Uh, you know, I'm a dad of two girls. They're teenage daughters and 15 and 17 now, which blows my mind that I've got 15 and 17 year old kids now. Like it's just, it's weird how time just, you wake up one day and I'm like, whoa, I'm in my forties and I got two teens. It's like crazy. <laughs> Where the hell did the last two decades go? Uh, but but the, the funny thing is, is that, you know, they are the biggest motivations, inspirations, as well as uh, educational uh, means for me in my life. And uh, I've been dating my wife for 20 years, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, we've had our ups and our downs, lots of downs, lots of challenges, but uh, we're fully committed to each other and our lives together. And uh, so we make it work, you know, like, like anyone, any good relationship, it, it often takes work at times. And uh, uh, also I, I help people with transformation. You know, I think a lot of us get stuck at times. I, myself, I found myself stuck many times in my life. And I, uh, through good mentors and, and having some amazing coaches, uh, I've been able to navigate some of those challenges and, and facilitate my own personal changes. And like most people, we go through a big adventure at some point in our life where we overcome something that really pushed back or challenged us, created a lot of fear or uncertainty. 
And then as soon as we get through the other side and we achieve what we were trying to achieve, we look back and we're like, you know, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> but it's always easy to say that after we've gotten to the other side, right? But we also often feel drawn to come and help others now do similar things in their lives. I find that's very much the case when you talk to anybody that's in coaching or mentorship or uh, working even as consultants, usually there's an experience there. There's a story there to why they're doing what they're doing now. You know, whether you meet someone that's a relationship coach because they've overcome challenging relationships and they've figured out a way to get through it. And now they help others do the same thing. So same with me, I, I help people through it, uh, whether through developing amazing lifestyle supporting businesses or learning to leverage our businesses or our careers to give us the lifestyles that we truly want and, and feel fulfilled and ultimately create lots of opportunities for happiness. So that's sort of a snapshot of who I am right now. Uh, where do you want me to go from there? And where did you met your, where did you meet your wife? And also what do you mean by you're still dating your wife for 20 years? Oh. <laughs> I'd like you to go into that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you know, I, I think, uh, you might be able to relate to this, Sophia. Do you ever find yourself, and, and for those that are listening to this, you, you know you know those little voices we have in our head. In particular, there's usually one voice that's very reserved or let's just call it negative Nelly, right? Or, or Dumper Dave, as I say, for my voice in my head. You know, Dumper Dave or Downer Dave. It's that voice that will always critique you, yourself, right? He's always like, nah, I don't think you can do this. You know what? You're not, you know, we don't even bother. You're going to fail you know, you suck. <laughs> you know, we have these little negative voices, this negative self-talk. And the language through which we speak to ourselves is so powerful. It can influence us either to do great things or it can hold us back from achieving what we really want to achieve because it creates a lot of doubt, a lot of disbelief in ourselves. And, and so a lot of years ago, my wife and I, we made a very uh, concerted effort as well as we, we just said, okay, enough's enough. We got to start using more empowering language. A lot of this language that we use, not only to, to speak to one another, specifically speaking to our kids and our communities, our friends, is geared towards really uplifting and, and supporting, and as well as to do some good stuff to try to offset all the negative self-talk that we all are dealing with every single day. And so when it came to our relationship, we talk about rather than saying, oh, we've been married for 20 years or we've been in a relationship for 20 years, we're, we're actually aspiring to have been dating for 20 years because there's something very different. When you start dating somebody versus getting into a serious relationship with somebody, it, I'm not saying it should change, but it often does change. And I don't know if you can attest to that as well, Sophia, or if you found yourself in a longer relationship from the time when you first meet the person, and you first start getting to know each other, there's a lot of excitement, right? There's a lot of those butterflies and that attraction. And I truly believe that we shouldn't lose that. Uh, but it takes effort. You got to work at it. And so that's where that term dating my wife comes in is. I'm always looking to date her, you know, surprise her with some flowers, get her a nice gift, you know, or something just small, but to show I've been thinking about her, uh, even just the way I speak to her. I speak to her in a way that's very respectful, but also uplifting. And so I ask people, you know, when you're looking at certain situations, rather than labeling it with the, the stereotypical labels that we often apply to things, think about creative ways to, to, to position it in a more positive light. 
right? And, and, and because this kind of language starts to reinforce itself. And if you start going down the path of like neuro-linguistic programming, you probably understand this a little bit more because basically it's the way that we reprogram ourselves. You know, Anthony Robbins is famous for doing this kind of techniques and how he coaches and works with people. It's, it's all about rewiring ourselves to, to speak more positively to ourselves so we actually feel more positive. And, and have these, these physical, emotional, spiritual, as well as psychological shifts. And uh, so that's what you caught on with that. Just one thing, just dating my wife, is that one little aspect of that, obviously. Uh, but you can apply it in all areas of life. And uh, I was fortunate, just a little over 20 years ago, I met my wife, and, or my wife-to-be at the time. Uh, my, my brother introduced us. Uh, she was a waitress at a restaurant uh, that my brother worked at. And uh, she, my wife's the redhead tinge of ginger and very spicy and uh, I always loved redheads and uh, when I saw her I was just like oh I, I have to meet this girl and my brother made the introduction and really it's history you know uh, next thing you know we're we're together we're having kids and building a life together and uh, it's been a lot of fun 20 years and uh, I, I hope for many many more and did you know when you met her I did yeah, absolutely. I, I knew that this is the one. It would just, I knew, I knew it. It, it. There was something about her and just everything about her. I just was like, yes. And and she's also my toughest, <laughs> I shouldn't say critic. It's not a matter of being a critic, but she she's someone that always sees the best in me, even at times when I don't see the best in me. And she's been a saving grace for me. Uh, in particular, in some some rather down times in my life, uh, specifically just a little over ten years ago, I was really struggling with alcohol abuse and drug abuse, and and uh, just not living a life I'm I'm very proud of. Uh, but she stood by me and she challenged me, and she was she's gosh, uh, she really helped me see things in a different perspective, and I, I love her even more for that. But uh, she believed in me what I didn't believe in myself. And, you know, we got through that and things have been just wonderful ever since. And my life changed forever after that incident. And maybe we'll get into that too. We'll talk a little bit about that a little bit in a little while. And what do you think has helped your relationship over the last 20 years? Is there any things that like really stand out to you? You know, it, well, in any, I believe that in any great relationship, both people are individuals, right? Like there, there's this independence from one another. And just because you're together doesn't mean you're one unit. You know, you can be together, you can support one another and, and really fully support each other to live in their best life and, and realize that, it, you know, you're coming in and out all the time. Like, I'm going to go off and do some things that I'm passionate about while she's off doing things that she's passionate about. And then we come back together because we have this life together. But we support each other as best we can to, to pursue the things that we're each interested in individually without jealousy, without any sort of animosity. And that takes time though. You know, it has to be a, a, a mutual agreement. And I'll tell you, when we were first in our relationships, especially when I was not making the best decisions and, and we've had our challenges, let's put it that way, based on lack of communication, lack of understanding, lack of agreements, you know, because we all need boundaries. You know, we need to have also a shared vision a shared mission, a shared dream. And there's been times where we do, and then there's been times where we don't. 
And usually when we don't, and we're not talking to one another with those kind of ideas and supporting each other to, to try new things, to experience new things, either as a family or as individuals, usually things start to, to, to go wrong. You know, when I say go wrong, you can just tell that we're, we're starting to drift apart. We're not really seeing eye to eye. We're, we're, we, we start to become complacent. And that's why I say, you know, great relationships do take work. Uh, Jim Collins talks about in his book, Good to Great, you know, that the only thing holding us back from achieving greatness in our lives is that we get, we feel okay with things being good enough. <laughs> you know, so things are good. Yeah, they're good. Not great, but they're good. And and so we don't want to settle with good. We want to go for the greatness, right? And, but that takes uh, effort. You, you have to focus on that. You have to want to work towards that. And so we've been fortunate that we both agree on that front and uh, we support each other in doing that. And yeah, so uh, the relationship's been really positive. And, you know, at the end of the day, we want all to be great role models for our kids, right? Show them what a great relationship can look like. And don't don't think everything's perfect here, please. Uh, and I don't want that to be interpreted. We have our, our, our fights too. But we've learned that, you know, we might fight fast, but we make up faster, you know? So uh, <laughs> it's we have our disagreements. We can get heated at times because we're both very passionate individuals, very, well, let's just put it, a little bit fiery. Uh, we're both type A personalities. So it's it's when we get to this point, there's fireworks at times, but they always come from a place of love and it's not a place of trying to demean or hurt one another. Right. So, and these are things that we've worked on, you know, like when we first started dating, did we have any of these ideas? Heck no, but we've continuously been working it, trying to become better as individuals, continuous, measurable improvement. And uh, that's just the journey that we find ourselves. So uh, we're just, very grateful that we both have that same ambition and uh and then we just go for it right and how did you get through alcoholism what was that like well okay i'm gonna say something right now that some people don't like when i say it but uh this idea of alcoholism and and, and that alcoholism is a disease and this is what's called the disease model or the, the addiction being a disease i i'm not personally one that agrees with that uh similar to the 12-step program uh i it, it wasn't a fit for me i i really struggle with this idea that i am powerless against alcohol because at no point in time did alcohol say hey you gotta drink me or i'm gonna shoot you you know like, there was no <laughs> conversation where the alcohol was making me do anything i was actually choosing to do my value proposition to myself was I value this alcohol in the way it's going to make me feel more than I value, say, being with my family, more than I value of honoring my wife. You know, so it's, it was just really I was valuing that thing over things that truly were uh, to my core, the things that mattered most. But in those moments when I was getting into my anxiety or my stress or believe that I earned this drink because I work so hard, I provide for my family, you know, like there's lots of ways to justify our actions and we will negotiate that in our own minds to try to make ourselves feel better. This is what I used to do really well. I'd be like, it's okay. Yeah, you deserve these extra drinks because you've been a really good guy. You helped a lot of people today. I know you, you're a little bit stressed, a little anxious. You need a break, have a few beers, maybe have some wine later too. And da, 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 da. And, uh, you know, what happens very quickly, and at least for myself, was I just created a habit 
it became a lifestyle. You know, like I, I started to become known as the guy amongst my friends that, hey, you know, you want to have a good weekend out or a good night out, make sure you invite Di along. Because after a few drinks, fun guy die shows up, right? And uh, and it was wild because, you know, I'd live my life a certain way. And, and working in the wellness industry especially, you know, I would often speak to the benefit of living healthy, active lifestyles. Well, here on the flip side, I was doing things that were directly opposed to that. So here I am saying one thing and yet doing something completely different. This creates a lack of integrity, right? This integrity gap, if you will. And it doesn't feel very good, you know, especially for myself. I look myself in the mirror and I'm like, gosh, who are you? You're such a liar. You're a fake. You're a fraud. And all these these feelings of, of guilt and shame and blame and not being good enough. Holy smokes. You know, that those negative voices, again, they really like to get at it. And uh, what would I do then? Well, I'd have a drink to try to distract myself, to escape from thinking all those things. Because at least temporarily, I could just push it away. And this became a habit. It was just all the time, right? It, it was every few nights a week I would do that. Sometimes I'd do it on the weekends. And, and then I would not show up at home. I, oh, yeah, don't worry. I'll be home after work tonight. And I'd go out for a drink with the guys. And next thing you know, I'm out. Not back till late in the morning, right? Not replying to my wife's text messages. Like, just doing stuff that was... You know, me looking back on it now, I'm like, "Wow, you were such an idiot, die. <laughs> you know, uh, because also my kids at the time were only four and six years old. So I had these young daughters at home too, not role modeling very much what a, what, what a good dad should be doing. And interesting enough, just a little over 10 years ago, I had this all night bender and I don't remember how I even got home. Like, it's kind of crazy. I, I have no recollection, but I woke up on the floor the next morning on our Berber carpet, bit of a carpet burn on my right side of my face because I'd been laying on the floor, rubbing up against it. It's early morning, but the family's up. They're downstairs and because I, I can hear my wife and I can hear my kids. My kids are on the couch watching Dora the Explorer. My, my wife's unloading the dishwasher and she I told you she's a fiery redhead. You know, she's got a bit of, a bit of spice to her. And, and when she's upset, Everybody knows she's upset. <laughs> and uh, so when I say unloading the dishwasher, it wasn't delicately. It was like clanging. I could hear this all the way upstairs. I could hear the dishes clanging. It's like, I'm sure she was trying to wake me up, you know. And uh, so I got up, massive hangover. I felt like I had a concert going on in my head, you know, just like with this massive bass line, thump, thump, thump. Made my way down the hall and down the stairs. Turned the corner. There she is in the kitchen. The kids are off in the living room open concept home. And so, uh, you know, everybody sees everybody. And uh, my wife just gave me this look. Like, and it was a look I've never seen before. Like, Sophia, she was like staring, not not at me, but through me, but like burning a hole through me. And I could just tell there was something terribly wrong right now. And uh, she motioned to me to sit down at the table. And so together we sat down and Pretty quickly, the conversation got to the point where she was said, Di, I'm taking your kids and this is not an environment for us to raise them. Can't keep doing this. This is no more exceptions. Because by this point, Sophia, just to give you some context, I was very good at saying, don't worry, I won't let that happen again. Oh, I learned my lesson. That won't happen again. But this repeated over and over. You know, there comes a point where you're just like, okay, 
<laughs> how many times can you keep saying the same excuse that you're going to basically stop doing a certain pattern and yet you keep doing it? And so rightly so, I understand that she had hit her breaking point and uh, we both started to cry and got to a point where, you know, we were just talking and, and, and I was trying to, to negotiate and, and, and make promises to do whatever I could to try to save what I knew. And I'd always said that family was the most important thing to me, even though I wasn't living like that all the time it still deep down was the most important thing to me. But my wife looked at me and she said, well, I got a question for you, Dad. Are you being the type of man that you would want to marry your daughters? And that question, that question, like, Dad, are you being the type of man that you would want to marry your daughters? I, I never thought of it like that before. Now here I am like 32 years old Young kids, you know, uh, from the outside looking in, most people believe very successful career, you know, basically like everything was okay. Nothing was okay. And I realized like I wasn't being that guy. Like if someone, if a man like me showed up on their doorstep and said, listen, I'd like to date your daughter, I'd punch him in the nose and kick him out. You know, like I wouldn't even let him in the door. But I was being that guy. That's who I was. And... For some reason, things just clicked. I, I saw things very differently all of a sudden. And, and so I sat my wife down on the couch with the kids and you know, I, I pleaded. I, I said, listen, I'm going to change, not just for you guys, but I want to change for me. And so I made a commitment to them to go one year without drinking. One year. Well, one year came and went and it just became a lifestyle. I just had no desire to drink. And what happens is when you remove something like that, and for me, it was a crutch. Like literally it was something that I used to, to escape, to, to quell my stress, my anxiety, to, to deal with the tough stuff. Like any, any reason really uh, that was challenging me, it was like, okay, well I should probably have a drink. And all of a sudden you remove that. Well, one money, uh, saved a lot. <laughs> so I had more money, more cash flow. Uh, two, I had way more energy all of a sudden too because, you know, the day after a few drinks at night, I felt better. I felt more energized. I felt more clear up, uh, up top. And, and, and so I created more space for me to actually do more things. So I had more time, more energy, uh, just, it was awesome. However, I still had a little bit of stress and anxiety. And, and so now I'd remove that crutch or that wheel, that, that habit of, way for dealing with that and what's really interesting if you look at the science of habit formation there's usually a trigger or a cue and so that trigger or cue triggers us right it, it cues us that we should do a certain action and we do the action because there's usually a reward afterwards and that reward is usually like a dopamine hit in our brain saying "Ooh, that feels good that's great ah oh, yay we achieved something you know a goal achieved or whatever so for me it was usually stress and anxiety okay have a drink. That was the habit. And that drink would eventually make me feel better. So it was like this reward mechanism of what alcohol would do. So I still had those triggers though. I still had the stress. I had the anxiety. I'd have a tough day at work or I'd get into a fight with somebody like just or a disagreement that got heated. And, but I removed that habit, no more drinking. So I needed to find a new habit, something else to help me deal with the stress and the anxiety. 
So fortunately for me at the time, I had already discovered CrossFit. So I really started to focus a lot more on my training because I love that physical activity, that output, that ability to burn off some stress and move my body. But I also found that uh, an organization called Toastmasters and Toastmasters helps people become more effective communicators, public speakers, as well as better leaders. And it's a nonprofit organization. It's all around the world. Anybody that's listening to this, chances are in the city where you live, there's Toastmasters clubs and they're almost free. Like they usually only cost a couple hundred dollars a year to be a member of it. And it's just an amazing community of supportive people. Because I, one of my things that would trigger me for stress and anxiety specifically is speaking in front of public, you know, speaking in front of larger groups. And which is funny because now 10 years later, I'm paid to speak in front of very large groups, to go on TV, to go on the radio, you know, to, to be much more extroverted. And not to say that the stress and the anxiety still isn't there. I've just learned how to channel it in a certain way to provide a, a certain experience for those that are listening, but more specifically to, to create a certain result. And so all this, these things, these cascade of things started to happen just by making one decision to give up alcohol for a year, you know, and uh, it still meant there was a lot of work. I had a counselor. I saw a psychiatrist for a little bit, saw a relationship counselor. I, I did a lot of work on me. And, uh, you know, after six months, I really started to find my groove again, rediscover my purpose, which again, fueled me to continue to make those good decisions every day. And, uh, yeah, so all I can say to people is, listen, if there's that one thing that's holding you back right now or that one thing that you know by you doing it on a regular, it's creating harm or it's creating unhappiness for you and it's something that you want to change, well, make that change. Seek the support you, do, you need to make that change because once you start making it, it's amazing what can be achieved. You know, creating that space. And anybody can make a change. I truly believe that. Anybody can make a change. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But I am saying it will be worth it. <laughs> so it's remembering the, the end goal, right? What, what we'll achieve by making the change. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. Pretty wild. One choice, one decision, because my wife asked me a single question. You know? And what did your transition look like from quitting your job to coaching? And why did you decide to quit your job? Well, let's see. You know, I, I've been in the fitness space for 25 years. So fitness and, and lifestyle. Since I was 18, I've, I've been coaching and mentoring people in fitness. And because I went through a personal transformation, I was morbidly obese as a teenager. I was really, really big. And uh, by the age of 15, I started to realize that I didn't want to be like that anymore. I wanted to make some changes physically. Uh, one of my motivations, to be honest, uh, was I wanted a girlfriend. You know, I wanted somebody to want me because at that time I felt, uh, well, I felt very alone. Uh, my parents had divorced and I had a younger brother, and but that's still very different. You know, he had his own social network. I had my own friends. Um, but I just was very lonely, very depressed, very withdrawn, had a lot of low self-esteem issues. And uh, I used to find solace in food and candy and video games and movies, right? Like I wasn't moving my body. I was eating a lot of foods that weren't very nutritious, but yet high calorie. And, you know, over five years of doing that repetitively, I gained a lot of weight. But all of a sudden, one day, I wanted to make a shift. I wanted to make a change. And and the real reason is, and, and anybody that's listening to this, just take note of what I'm about to say, because this this is probably what 
will really trigger you to help you make a change when you start to realize there's something that you want to change. I was more afraid of my life and what it would be like if I didn't make the change than I was of fearful of actually making the change. So when we get to a point where all of a sudden we realize the path we're on, we're more afraid of continuing to walk that path than we are that the idea of walking a different one. That Because usually it's the fear of the unknown, right? That prevents us, the fear of actual change itself, because we're not sure what will happen. And, and, or maybe the fear of failure, right? And, and some of these fears are what hold us back. And, and But when you get to a point where the you're more afraid of staying as you are than you are of the idea of actually changing, that's when you know you're probably ready to make a change. And, and that's how I was. You know, I looked at myself in the mirror one day and broke down. You know, I, I was like, I do not like this guy I'm looking at. I can't believe this is me. I can't believe I allowed myself to get here. And right then and there, made a choice. Okay, I'm going to make some changes. Started to move my body. Started to eat a little bit better. I, I had I went to the library. My kids laughed. I'm like, well, you went, why don't you use Google? Because I'm older than Google, guys. I, I tell my kids that. I'm older than Google. And uh, they, they laugh. And But I went to the library. I got a books on nutrition and fitness. And, and my parents were very supportive. They bought me a mountain bike. So I started biking every day. And just, just moving, right, with a little bit of purpose. And uh, over 20 months, it took 20 months, you know, just a little over a year and a half to, to release the weight, to change my, my physicality, to, to create the new lifestyle that I wanted for myself. And after going through that, a lot of people had seen this happening, even friends of my parents, so adults, right? Like you got to realize at the time, I'm like 17, not even 18 yet. They're asking me for advice and support to help them with getting a little healthier, getting a little fitter, eating a little bit better, right? And even some mindset stuff. And that got me really excited about coaching and mentorship and helping others. So those are the early seeds that then really influenced me as I went into my adult life, you know, after graduating high school and moving to Vancouver and getting to university, like I continued to do that. And then eventually I got into the equipment industry, selling fitness equipment and uh, was a co-founder for, for a chain of retail stores. And we used to do commercial sales and e-commerce all across the country. And, you know, we did that for 17 years. And I thought that that was it. This is what I'm meant to be doing. Like, this is it. I'm a partner in this company. It's successful. It's growing, yada, yada, yada. But then, you know, and just sort of get the timeline here. Go back. uh, It was five years ago I quit, but it was 10 years ago I stopped drinking. So there's about a five-year overlap where I'd stopped drinking and yet I continued to work for that company. So for a few years, things were going awesome. I had this new vitality, this new energy, this new focus to keep working the company. But at the same time, I had other passions that I was interested in. And as I started to do more of those passion projects and more of this helping and support people in other fashions, uh, other ways, uh, in particular, we, we created a Sunday Funday community where we host free workouts every Sunday morning for anybody to come and join us. And we would get 80 to 100 people coming out on a Sunday morning to work out with us. You know, And it was free. There was no hidden agenda, no pitches, no nothing. It was just a community to support each other. And my wife and I loved doing that, building these communities, both online and offline. And uh, in going through that process and doing that, we started to realize you know, we have other aspirations. But this is where things get a little scary is all of a sudden, you know, I've got this long time vision that I'm going to continue to work in this company and that's going to be a certain amount of hours and, and, and a lot of energy and a lot of dedication. It's, it's, it's really a path. 
but there's these things over here that I want to do. There's these other things that are making me feel more fulfilled. Uh Oh, I got to choose. I can't just keep working this or I can, but then I'm probably going to have to forget about these other things that I really want to do. And there was really no way to do both. It wasn't an option as much as I wanted it to be an option. And that's another story entirely. It, it, my partner at the time didn't, it didn't see the same vision. And that's when I knew that I had to make a change. Again, here it comes down to making a change, right? I was more afraid that I would stay on the path of continuing to work my career and I'd get 10, 20 years down the road and I'd look back and say, oh my gosh, I really regret not making the change when I could have. I really regret not going traveling with my family when I could have, when they were younger and they were still home with my wife and I. You know, I really regret not moving more into coaching, doing more things in the online space. I was more afraid of having those regrets than I was afraid of trying and seeing what would happen. And so I quit my career, 17 years, you know. And then my wife quit her job a month later. A few months after that, we pulled the kids out of school. We gave away all our stuff. Uh, And we packed up our SUV and we started traveling. Like literally, like we just like, and at the time I had written a book. And so the book was just being released as we started our traveling. So we could do some networking. We could do some book signings. We could do some fun stuff like that. And we just started driving south and uh, we, we spent a lot of time in the U.S., uh, specifically like California. And uh, we also spent a fair bit of time in Oregon. And then we started to work our way around the U.S. and then back up to Canada and the North America, like North America predominantly for the entire first two years. And then eventually, um, after my father passed, we decided, hey, you know what? My dad's gone now. We had the opportunity to have that time with him based on some of the choices. It's funny how things work out, right? Because I had left my career, all of a sudden we had this extra time and this ability to go and be with my dad. It was just outside of Toronto, so the other side of the country, uh, because I didn't have to be at work, right? I, I was not working for myself. So I was like, okay, well, I can work online and I can work from there. So we can go spend time with, with my dad at end of life, which was just a wonderful opportunity. And had I not quit my career, that wouldn't have been an option. You know, so it's, I always laugh because I, I think things always seem to work out uh, for, for, for the right reason, you know, and, and it's trusting our instincts and our gut that we're making the right choices and the right decisions. And, and uh, I, I keep seeing those re- affirmations, you know, this, that, that are confirming this belief that I have around that. And, uh, and so we went overseas and we went to Bali for three months. And uh, have you ever been to Bali? I have not. I've not been outside of the U.S., Oh, okay. Well, not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Yeah. So, uh, um, well, let me tell you this. When, when I'd never been to Bali either, but my wife had been, and she always spoke really positively of it. She always said how amazing it was. And, and so when we started looking into places to go in Southeast Asia uh, for this, because we were only going to do it for three months, we we're going to go for three months and we rented one place in Bali. We got there. We all fell in love with it. We just fell in love with it. And that three months turned into a couple of years. <laughs> and, and we've only relocated back to Canada uh, recently, like in the last six months. Uh, my, I, I've only been back in Canada for the last uh, four months. But my wife relocated back about seven, eight months ago. And uh, yeah, so it's been a, a crazy travel whirlwind adventure, you know, five years of being all over the place. But uh, yeah, quitting my career, it was... It's funny. I, it, it seems crazy now when I think back on it because you know I left a very 
a really good career. I, I mean, I was making great money and I, I mean, geez, I, I had a lot of flexibility. Our, our family had a great lifestyle and we were very comfortable. Let's put it that way. But you know, and I wanted to make a change. And so we did. <laughs> we were afraid. There was a lot of fear there, but we also asked ourselves, well, what's the worst that can happen? And when you really start asking yourself, what's the worst that can happen? We realize that, oh, we run out of money. I'm not able to make money online to keep us traveling and support us. We go back home and we get jobs again. Like that was actually the worst thing that could happen. And, and that's why I always say, because I, I get a lot of parents that reach out to me and they're like, wow, how do you travel with young kids? You know, how do you do that? Like we, we get all these questions all the time, my wife and I, and, and I'm like, you know what? You figure out a way. When you make that decision, you make the choice to start to go down a certain path, you figure it out. And we just figured stuff out as we went. We didn't have it all planned. No way. We had some ideas on things that we wanted to do, but we had no plan. <laughs> we packed up the SUV. We didn't even know where we were going. We didn't have like little places planned to stay. Like we had nothing figured out. We we're just like, we're just going to go. We'll figure it out as we go. And so we went. And uh, I, I truly believe people figure it out. You know, like if you're in a positive state of mind and you, you, you trust your instincts and you're, yeah, good things will happen. And sometimes you just have to believe in yourself. And what was this decision behind the 10 day silent retreat? What prompted that? Well, so we were living in Bali at the time. Uh, I had a coach that was based out of LA that I was working with, a business coach. And I also had a couple people that I had met in Bali. And so there's three different individuals that I respected. And at different conversations over a span of about six, seven weeks, I had these three different conversations with different people. They don't know each other. And yet all of them had recently done a Vipassana, which I didn't wasn't aware of. Like all of them had recently done one. And when I heard it first from my business coach, I was like, well, good for you awesome. I could never do that. Like I, I was that guy. I was like, there's no way in heck. Like I'm, I find it hard to meditate for 15 minutes. So you imagine 10 days of nothing but sitting on a pillow. I'm like there's no way. And then I had a secondary conversation with somebody and it came up again. And then they were talking about what it did for them and, and the experience and what happened. And I, okay. So at this point I'm like, okay, well that's two people I've met now that I respect have both done it. Both had great experiences. <sighs> Maybe. Then I had a third conversation. And it's just, you know, I, the, this whole idea of law of attraction or the universe is trying to speak to us. I don't usually go down that path, but there's got to be something to it because all of a sudden I have a third conversation with somebody talking about my passion. I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay, it's been less than two months, three times, three different people. This has come up. Maybe the universe is trying to tell me that I should probably do a passion. <laughs> and, and so right then and there, you know, my wife supported me. I was like, I think I really want to do this. Uh, we wanted to go to Thailand anyway to do some traveling. And so I found a Vipassana center, a meditation center in Thailand, uh, just outside of Bangkok. And um, yeah, I, I registered and got in. And so that was it. And, and, you know, we went over to Thailand, the family and I did some traveling for a week. And then they went back to Bali and I went to the silent meditation retreat. And uh, it's a crazy experience. Like, so anybody that's never been on a silent retreat, like this is the first time I'd ever done anything like this. You basically get there, they pick you up in Bangkok and they drive you on this bus for about three hours way up, up north. 
and you get off at the center, out in the middle of like the jungle, <laughs> and there everybody gets all the off the bus, and there's men and women on the bus, yet you're divided. So all the men go off to the left hand side of the facility, the women go off to the right side, and they're segregated for the entire time. So it was interesting because there was people that were couples, there was married couples that were there together. They are separated until after the retreat's done, and so off you go. There's a little bit of talking. They do a little orientation, let you know what to expect and sort of what are the guidelines are. They take all your devices, any writing utensils, any books. They take all this stuff from you because there's no reading. There's no writing. There's no speaking. They don't even want you making eye contact with people. You eat one meal a day, which is provided by them. They also give you, you know, sleeping quarters. Uh, but there's no exercise. There's no running, like no walking. Like you're basically just meditating every day for 10 days. And they guide you through it. They teach you a technique, you know, and it, it, it's wild. Like, it's absolutely wild when all your attention is just inward. You have to realize, you know, think about your own life, Sophia. A lot of what we believe and a lot of what we experience is based on what we perceive outside of us. We rarely spend all that time focusing on the inside, specifically like what's going on in our head, what's going on in our body, like what am I feeling right now? What, even when we're breathing, thinking about, uh, like, it's wild because you start to to realize that they help you with honing in on different sensations at different body parts. And you just become very in tune, very aware of your body and your mind in the moment. And that's really what mindfulness is. And, and so I, it's kind of like a form of mindful meditation. And by the end of 10 days, you haven't talked to anybody. And, and it, this is the neatest thing is, I would see people, you know, you would notice people walking to, 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 to go to the cafeteria area where you would eat and, and, you know, you'd be in a meditation hall together and there'd be all these men that you would see around on their own little pillows. You were not conversing or talking, but you'd still see these guys, you know, I'd see these men uh, spread about, but come day 11 after the 10 days are done and they say, you know, the silence is now done. So you guys can talk now. And, and then you start to talk and start to chat to other guys about their experience. But, you know, in my head, I had already formed all these different opinions and stories of these people, <laughs> you know, because you've been seeing them for 10 days. You know, I see this older guy and he kind of always looked a little bit somber. So I had this whole story in my head about, you know, he's probably an old divorce guy. You know, he's retired. Uh, I don't know. He's on a, a spiritual mission right now. I can, you know, you just start to form all these ideas. Funny enough, he's an entrepreneur from the UK, owns a successful vegan business, uh, you know, great guy, married, happily married, he's got full-grown kids, and just an amazing dude. But it's weird because in our minds, you know, we see somebody and we instinctively start to judge and form an opinion. We just do automatically. Like these automatic subconscious things happen. And by going through this experience, I've realized how often that happens for myself. And so you start to create a space and the opportunity to, to be more aware when you start to do those things. So you can start to change, start to shift how you do certain things. So I'm, I'm not as bombastic. I don't blow up as like sometimes I would. I would sometimes just lose my temper, you know, and, and, and that happens far less frequently now. Like even me finding myself judging somebody just by looking at them, even on the street, I catch myself doing that. I'm like, why are you doing that guy? It's, you know, and, so you just have to develop this new self-awareness. And uh, it's, it's really quite powerful. 
And it wasn't until I went through that experience that I could truly be able to even say that because until you've done it, it's just a lot of lip service. <laughs> you got to go and experience it. But fortunately, there's retreat centers all over the world now, Vipassana centers. And um, I do have a blog article on my blog that talks all about uh, the experience and what to expect and, and all that good stuff. It also has links to the different centers. So if you wanted to book one, and it's all free, it's by donation only. So it, it, they make it extremely accessible for anybody of any walk of life. Any, uh, anyone can do it. Um, it's just uh, a matter of making the commitment to yourself that you want to do it. And were you into meditation before you went? Uh, like I hinted, I, I do like meditation, but I would typically do it post-workout anywhere from five to 15 minutes. Uh, sometimes I would do sleep meditations so meditations to help me just wind down at the end of the day to get into sleep mode. Uh, but nothing like that, you know, I, my, my meditations were usually five to 15, maybe 20 minutes max, you know? So it, it was very different and it wasn't a Vipassana self. Vipassana is a very specific way of meditating. It's a very specific breathing style that you do with it. And, uh, so I, I really enjoyed that, but it, it's not uh, anything like what I was doing before. And tell me about your men's group. What was the idea behind it? Well, for, for those that are listening to this, and, and you know, my, my wife at the time when we were living in Bali was running women's groups. And, um, and hers was Women and Wisdom Wednesdays. And mine was Mentorship Mondays. And something that I noticed in myself was that I had a lot of male friends or at least acquaintances, but we didn't really ever get down to nitty gritty subjects. Like we didn't really open up and talk about the challenges that we were having or, or some of our belief systems or, or, or if, even if we were feeling unhappy or depressed, like we just weren't ever really speaking from the heart. You know, we were very much in the head, uh, you know, up here, not down here. And, it's really hard to connect with somebody and truly get to know them unless you're willing to be open on a deeper level. But I found that a lot of the times and specifically the way I would show up for other guys was I always put on a bit of a veneer, you know, like this, this almost like a mask uh, because I'd, I'd feel concerned that I'd be judged or anything that I would say that might show that I'm a bit vulnerable might be conceived or, 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 or believed or they may believe that I'm weak and maybe we'll take advantage of me, you know? So there's, there's all these things play out in my mind and, and would prevent me from ever wanting to open up to another man. Even though I could have some friends and, and these friends used to be very much beer buddies, you know, they'd be the guys I go out to the pubs with where you, you would talk about just work. You might mention the kids a little bit, but you would rarely ever go down to that next level of really talking about the things that are, that you're struggling with. Call it fear, call it whatever you want. But that's what I found myself struggling with. And, and so while there I was sitting in Bali and I had a friend, I was on his podcast and he was mentioning to me after we recorded that, that interview, he was sharing with me that, you know, just some of the men's work that he'd been doing and uh, specifically men's circles that he was facilitating in an area called Ubud. And Ubud is like, it's right in the jungle, sort of the heart of, of, of Bali uh, it's uh, pretty close to the volcano. It's just a beautiful little area. Uh, but it, it is like the yoga uh, 
mecca, if you will, uh, of, of pretty much the world. I mean, anybody that looks up Bali and looks up yoga retreats, there's like a bajillion of them that pop up in Bali, specifically Ubud. <laughs> it, it is, it, it's like Starbucks in, in Seattle, right? Like there's like yoga studios everywhere, which is amazing. It's really cool. It makes for a very unique uh, vibe and energy around the, the town. But he was running these men's circles and we started talking about it and, and I started to get excited about, well, in the area where I was living, because I lived down off the beach in Bali. It's an area called Changu, which is basically the surf side of Bali. And down there, I had some male people that I was meeting. But again, I wanted a deeper relationship. And I wanted to really connect with other men. And so I thought, I'll host these Monday night gatherings. Get guys to come out. We'll have dinner and discussion. And my buddy in Ubud, I said, Hey, do you want to come down and, and join me for these? And he's like, sure, of course. And and it's not a men's circle per se. Those are very different than from how, what we facilitate, but we create a space where men can come together. We eat and we talk and, and some of the themes that pop up, uh, uh, well, what's really unique is there's no coaching. So we, we don't actually provide advice to one another, but we share stories, personal experiences. And we always talk about things from our own perspective. So we use the I word. It's not like we or they, we always say I. Uh, so we own anything that we say, which is very different for some people, especially uh, men like myself that struggle with owning certain opinions sometimes. Uh, it, you, you, it shifts how you, you present things, how you think about things, how you talk about things. And uh you know, it's a space where it's very safe. There's no judgment. Whatever happens there stays there. And uh, we allow people to be vulnerable, to, to share things that they're struggling with. Um, there's no alcohol involved. <laughs> it's all just uh, good food and, and conversation. And there's sort of this underlying theme is like this question, what does it mean to be a great man? And we explore what that means. And we have guys uh, as young as 18 all the way up until their 70s. And we have this whole spectrum. So imagine this, a table of 20, 25 guys sitting together, having this conversation or, or discussion. And one guy speaks at a time, so that way every guy gets a chance to talk. And, uh, and it's not ever one guy trying to speak louder than the other guy. It's just one guy at a time. And it, it's really cool because imagine guys in their 70s that have lived a really long life. They still have challenges, but they're different challenges than, say, the guy that's 18. Yet the guy that's 18 could talk about something that he's feeling challenged. And the guy that's 70 or the guy that's in his 50s or even like me, the guy that's in his early 40s, be like, oh, you know what? I had a similar experience like that. Here's my experience. And just through sharing of these stories and experiences, we actually learn and we grow. And this is that mentorship part that, that got me really excited. And so we've been facilitating this now almost two years. We've been running these groups and we, we've got one in the Pacific Standard Time because we run them on Zoom now because of the whole COVID thing, which has made it even more accessible. We got people from all over the world tuning in for these, but we run one in Bali. We got one in Toronto. We got one in Vancouver. And uh, we also got a guy in Paris that's been doing one and, and someone in Australia as well. So it's kind of neat to see these things popping up. But it all started in Bali. And uh, so yeah, we can keep running those. It's on Monday nights and it's free to attend. Uh, you just have to be a man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, women have plenty of groups out there, but uh, for men, there's not as many. And uh, so it's been really cool uh, creating that space and, and opening it up for, for any men that want to just have a deeper relationship, connect with some amazing people. Like we have some incredible entrepreneurs and business owners and leaders and, and just 
phenomenal individuals that are being attracted to these communities and we all come together just to support each other you know it's pretty cool it's really cool and what's something that you've learned from hosting it mm. one thing i've learned well there's a couple things one thing for sure is that we're not alone <laughs> i think a lot of the times speaking from my own personal perspective and others agree with me, uh, but I'm trying to, to always frame it from what I know and what I've observed is a lot of us deal with challenges. I know myself, I've dealt with a lot of challenges. And usually when I'm dealing with some things that are really, really hard or challenging or, or make me feel very uncomfortable or, or fearful, I believe that it's all my own. You know, like nobody can relate to this. Nobody will understand what I'm dealing with. So I'm left by myself to deal with it and work through it. And that's even harder, you know, because uh, sometimes we just want someone else to just be able to say, hey, I get you. I hear you. Wow, that is tough. Because it sometimes just even saying it, <laughs> it allows us to just unload some of the pressure just to be heard. And what I would find is just by sharing something that I was challenged with, often another guy would say, oh, man. I totally feel you. I totally get that. I've had something that almost exact, or I'd have guys after I've shared something really something that I'm struggling with and they'd be like, Oh my gosh, I'm dealing with this exact same thing right now. You know, and just to hear somebody else is dealing with a similar challenge. It's amazing because you don't feel so alone anymore. Right. In our struggles. And, and uh, we're not looking for a solution to it. It's not like we're going there to be fixed because none of us are broken. It's just based on our, our knowledge and our experience level, maybe we just don't have the faculties yet to deal with those challenges in a way that we can work through them. And again, that's where sharing of stories and what's worked for others sometimes may work for us as well. So that's one thing I've noticed. And it's been very empowering knowing that I'm not by myself on this crazy journey called life, that there are people out there dealing with similar struggles, if not the exact same struggles. Uh, and I also noticed with men, it's very much a, you go first. I, I, I've noticed this with guys. They'll come to the group. It'll be the first time there. They're like, what am I doing here? This is crazy. This is weird. Like, are we all going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya? You know, like they're, they're kind of looking around and especially the younger guys, like even the millennials, they're like, oh, this is kind of weird. I don't know what's going on. Why am I even here? And because most of the time it's all word of mouth, you know, a guy would say, hey, I, I went to this thing. Why don't you join me next week? It's really cool. And, and so they show up just trusting their friend and they're like, I have no idea what's going on here. And uh, with vulnerability in men, often it, 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 guys are open to sharing only after they've seen somebody else share. So what you have to realize, if you get a bunch of guys around table that are all thinking like that, no one's going to talk. <laughs> you just sit there. So it's very much a, well, you go first. And I, I challenge a lot of men now. And, and I shouldn't say challenge. That's a little bit hard. I, I invite men. Don't wait for somebody else to go first. Just go first. Be that guy. Be the one that's willing to be vulnerable first. Show that as a strength, not as a weakness, you know, and, 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 don't be worried for, about judgment, you know, just share what's real for you. And it's neat to see that starting to unfold. But it's one thing I've really noticed and, and it's helped me a lot as a coach and as a mentor and as someone that works with not only men, but women too, is this, this idea of, of vulnerability in essence. And Brene Brown talks about this, you know, when you're vulnerable, you actually give other people permission to be vulnerable. And, and so it's, 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 
pretty cool to see that. But once you start to recognize that in yourself and you start to realize that by just sharing what's real for you and how you're feeling in the moment, it allows people to connect with you very authentically, right? And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of a couple of the things that have really stuck out for me since I've started to facilitate these groups. And what's something lighting you up right now? Lighting me up. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I got a parent body project. So I, I specifically look to work with parents that are looking to get way more out of life. You know, because as parents, we get very good at prioritizing everything for everybody else. <laughs> we, we prioritize our kids, we prioritize our partners, we prioritize our careers, we prioritize everything but ourselves. We always get the short end of the stick. And it's just, you know, it's almost like martyrdom versus mummydom or daddydom, right? Like it's this idea of being a martyr. Like I'm going to look after everybody else's needs because I'm a provider. I'm a caregiver. I'm a supporter. I'm a parent. Like this is what I'm meant to be doing. But you can only do that for so long. You know, there comes a point in time where if you're not able to look after yourself, who will? Like nobody has ever come to me and said, Di, I'm going to pay you to look after yourself. I, I mean, I would love that. And Sophia, if you know of any careers that will pay me to look after myself, you know, I'm like, you're going to practice self-care and self-love and I'm going to pay you to do it. I'm going to be like, I'm there. I will work 24-7 on that one. You know, like, give me all the overtime. I'm in. It just it doesn't really work that way. And, and so we have to recognize, well, who's going to prioritize the time for ourselves? It, it comes down to ourselves. And, you know, we, we often hear the cliche story that's like being on an airplane, right? The gas masks fall. Well, make sure you put that on yourself before you put it on others. Because if you can't breathe, you can't help those next to you. And the same idea goes, like, if you're not looking after your own health and well-being and your mental health, especially, there will come a point in time where you can no longer provide to the level that you want to for others. And so my parent body project is, is really a process that I've worked through for almost 25 years of literally coaching and mentoring tens of thousands of people. And I've created a very specific process to, to help these parents with, with getting stronger and, and clearer on what they want in life, um, specifically mental health, physical health, psychological health, as well as spiritual health, and, and really looking at the holistic idea of what it means to live a great life. And uh, so I'm really, it gets me really excited because some of the parents that I'm working with, the, the results they're creating and how it's helping everybody that they know, like their communities, their families, their kids. It's remarkable what happens when you untap that energy and that, that strength from within. Man, you can do anything and, uh, and yet still be a great mom and a great dad and a great partner, a great uh, employee or business owner. Like you, you just, you tap into things in such a way. So yeah, that's got me lit up right now, as you can probably tell. What is something that most people don't know about you? I like really cheesy horror movies. <laughs> like really like awful cheesy horror movies. You know, like the old zombie movies and just like like movies that most people would never watch or they watch and they like even like the, the zombie movies like Rob Zombie, you know, like some of the and if you've never seen one of those, they're they're really just slash slasher type movies right like they have very little plot to it and uh usually way too much violence uh but i don't know i i started watching cheesy horror movies when i was in my teens and and it's one of these like guilty little pleasures that i have i think it's because it's so far-fetched and it's so outside the norm 
and there is no plot line, so I don't even have to think. Uh, it, it makes it really easy to zone out and watch. But uh, I don't share that with very many people. Like Very few people know that about me. But, yeah, I like cheesy horror movies. Mm. And if you can go back in time and talk to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell him? I would tell him everything's going to be okay. And more importantly, just trust your gut. Do what's right for you. More specifically, do what you want to do. Don't do the things that you believe everybody expects you to do. You know, there's a beautiful book by a woman by the name of Bronnie Ware, and it's called The Five Regrets of the Dying. And I like to let people know about this because even if you watch her TED Talk, it's, it's, it's actually a very powerful TED Talk. Her book goes into more detail, but the TED Talk will give you the gist of it. This lady, this nurse, uh, you know, was an end-of-life nurse, so, you know, long-term care type facilities and, and people at end of life, and she'd be there looking after them and tending to them. And, and as she would get to know them, she would often have conversations, and, and the question would often come up, like, is there anything that you regret not doing in your life? So realize this, that just to give you some context. These are people at end of life. Many of them are bedridden. They can't get out of bed. They don't have a lot of family around them. So they're basically there by themselves thinking about things that they wish they could go back and do again or, or things that they wish they had done. But there's five recurring themes. You notice every person she talked to, it was one of these five things, five regrets, almost every single person had. And one of the ones that I always think about is I wish I'd lived the life that I wanted to live, not the life that I believed everybody else wanted me to live. And that really got to me because I thought about when I first moved to Vancouver and I went to university, I originally went into the sciences because I wanted to be a vet like my dad. You know, I wanted him to be proud of me. I wanted him to respect me. I wanted him to be excited for me. I was doing a lot of things for, for, for what I believed he wanted me to do. You know, and then after a year, I realized I, I love animals. I just don't love animals that much to dedicate my life to it. But I remember being so afraid and, and worried about telling my dad I didn't want to do it anymore. And when I finally had that conversation, he was like, that's great. I just want you to be happy. I just want you to go for what you want to do, you know. And, and but, but it was funny. I never thought about that until I opened up and had that conversation with him. And, and can you imagine if I went through being a vet? And then I got into that practice and, and I started doing these things that I never really wanted to do. And, but I did it because I believed it was what everybody else wanted me to do. That'd be awful to be 80 years old thinking back and like, geez, imagine the life I could have had if I wasn't a vet. You know, like, and so when we start to look at things in our own life in that kind of context, you start to, to, to value your decisions a little bit differently. And so if I went back and talked to myself as a 20-year-old, it'd be that, do what you want to do trust your gut you know don't do the things that you expect you believe everybody expects of you to do you know live your life <laughs> and, and be okay with it i'm not going to always get it right they make a lot of mistakes but at least it's my mistakes you know and i can learn from them so yeah there's four other regrets but i i, I recommend looking into those because they're uh, they're pretty empowering thank you so much for doing this yeah sheesh no worries it's my pleasure it's uh I feel like I've been talking a long time. <laughs> Where can people connect with you? Well, I'm pretty easy to find when you know how to spell my name. So my first name is Dai, D-A-I. 
last name is Manuel, M-A-N-U-E-L. And so the first name is a Welsh name, means David. Last name is Portuguese. Uh, but when you understand how to spell that, or at least get close to it enough, uh, and you put it into a search engine or on a social media platform, you're going to find me. Because I'm the only one out there with the name. And fortunately for me, every social media platform I'm on, especially Facebook and Instagram, that's where I'm most active, I just got my name. And uh, same with my website. It's just diamondwell.com. So uh, website's got about 1,500 articles. They're all lifestyle orientated to help people with just living a better life. And uh, Facebook and Instagram, I'm just all about connecting with people. And I always invite people. I'm like, just look me up, shoot me a message and say, hey, Di, how you doing? I heard you on Sophia's podcast. Just want to say hi. And you know what? I'm going to say hi back. We're going to have a conversation. <laughs> and I always say to people, just, just, just reach out and say hi. That's the best way to start a conversation. And, uh, and if I can be of any service and help you out, I'm more than happy to. These are not an empty invitation. This is a, a very, very much a real proposition. And so I always invite people to take me up on it. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'd love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.